How's it going, folks? Welcome to Found Flicks. On this evening, explain we're checking out Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. We follow a group of wealthy 20-somethings who get stuck at a remote mansion during a hurricane. A party game gone very wrong ends up with a dead body on the ground and fake friends at every turn as they try to find the killer among them. Bodies, Bodies, Bodies is impressive because it's a Gen Z satire that isn't incredibly painful. I know! It's actually quite clever and funny, which helps it to stand out amongst its ilk. The main drive of the story is a kind of whodunit as more bodies start piling up and the accusations start to fly as to who is responsible. But the real core is our characters, as we peel back more layers to their broken dynamics, exposing the truth about who these people really are. The answer is absolutely entitled dumbasses who refuse to take any responsibility of any kind. The counter to this is seen through the outsider B, who is thrust into the foreign rich world of her new girlfriend's pals, and does what she can to fit in. It's interesting and amusing how the relationships devolve as the night gets more dead also touching on the idea of the fake personas that we present to the world versus who we really are. It all builds to a final twist that undoes everything that happened over the course of the night, ultimately learning that it was all thanks to their stupidity that everything went down. There are some lingering questions regarding characters' motivations and other aspects that are left without complete resolution, yet there are a lot of clues throughout that really illuminate the story's grander purpose and ideas. So let's dive into Bodies, 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 breaking down the story and its twist, along with the main themes presented and explaining the ending and what it means. We first meet Sophie and B passionately making out in the woods. B tries to slow her down and Soph goes right for the crotch grab. Woo! She playfully runs off and later Sophie is still eyeing her longingly. She spills that she loves her and says that she doesn't have to say it back but just had to tell her her feelings. B stays silent, smiling in consideration. Hmm, definitely seems like Sophie is the aggressive one in the relationship here. The pair are about to reunite with Sophie's friend group and B does some online research first. Sophie assures her that they're not as nihilistic as they look on the internet. That's just how they want to come across. <laughs> Why is that? Almost as though people create fake online personas. Hmm. Think about that, huh? B is overwhelmed, finding them all very impressive, and Sophie encourages that she's impressive too. And she singles out that Jordan specifically will definitely like her. They make it to David's family's house, and they aren't just well off, but like super rich, pulling into the lavish estate. It's clear that B is uncomfortable, and Sophie gives her a big warm hug and kiss to calm her down. She realizes that she forgot something back in the car and collects a baked good from her belongings. She freshens up in the mirror and puts on a forced smile, also leaving the mirror down, no doubt draining the battery. Hopefully that won't be a problem later. We're introduced to the rest of her friends floating aimlessly together in a pool, appropriately enough, and they're as vapid and annoying as you would suspect. It also seems that Sophie's appearance is a surprise, declaring surprise bitches as they notice her. They are genuinely shocked, even questioning what she's doing here. Not exactly the warmest welcome. She catches up with Alice, recalling the last time that she saw her. Sophie was drunk off her ass and puking all over the place. Oh, wow. They exchange some superficial comments about how good they each look and how much they miss each other. Oh, sure. Sophie even reveals that she's a big fan of her pal's podcast to her delight. B is then introduced to the group, but there is one random guy that she doesn't know, Alice's new boyfriend, Greg. And even he is aware of Sophie's sordid history, giving a, whoa, you're Sophie? Upon realizing who she is. Reputation really precedes you there. Jordan sarcastically tells her it's great to see her, especially right before the big storm is coming. Sophie defends that she told him that she was coming in the group chat, and Jordan fires back, she definitely did not. She shrugs, whatever, I'm bad at texting, you all know that. 
that. Alice rejoins them and is worried they're talking about her, showing how insecure she really is. Greg returns with a fancy bottle of champagne, and Dave is pissed at him for touching his dad's stuff. Greg declares this a big occasion. So what's the big deal? Bea awkwardly hands over her gift of zucchini bread to Dave, him giving a confused yum. Greg shows off an impressive way to open the bottle, using one of Dave's dad's sabers, and everyone is bowled over. Dave is obviously jealous and demands that he hand over the sword. They dole out glasses to the group, and Sophie declines, revealing that she's sober. This elicits a limp yay from the others, and the aforementioned storm starts rolling in. There's another, Max, missing from the group, but they say nothing is going on there, he's just taking a break. As soon as getting a private moment, Sophie is right back to mauling B. They're interrupted by Dave wanting a word with her. He then rips on B, calling her cute in a school shooter way, and mocking her baked treat. B checks out the house, and runs into Jordan. She gets right in her business, as B stammers the house is beautiful. Jordan points out that Sophie's parents' house is even bigger, and warns her to be careful with her. B gives her a casual okay, and Jordan leaves. Well, does not seem like she's a big fan as Sophie suggested. Dave is still gushing with insecurity over Greg. Only moms would find him hot, right? And we discover that Sophie went to rehab, Dave telling her, good for her, now we can all be cool, man. She does call Greg hot, and Dave argues that he's more attractive. He puts out a that guy fucks vibe, right? Whatever you say, buddy. She notices a bruise on his eye, and the missing Max was responsible. He claims that he was just standing outside and he sucker punched him, but he thinks it looks cool and makes him look like a tough warrior. Sure does. She broaches another subject. Has he had a chance to talk with her parents? Wonder why she wouldn't have contacted him herself. But he changes course, asking what it is that she's actually doing here. I missed you, she says, and he knows that's a lie. No one ever misses him. He wanders downstairs, passing by a meditating Greg on the couch, and then the rest of the girls watching TV. She asks about the Wi-Fi password, and Jordan offers to transfer it over. All she needs is her email. Alone, she calls her mother, explaining that the service went out, but she's on Wi-Fi now. The others, led by Greg, are lured into doing a dancing TikTok, the pinnacle of content creation. B rejoins them, and Alice offers her a drink. They're ready for another take, and even B gives a spirited, let's go! Starting to open up a little bit there. Though they soon turn things into a grilling session over her relationship, and it's only been a scant six weeks. She's also been scarfing down a slice of cake, which they only now reveal is laced with weed. <laughs> Thanks a lot, guys. Could have told me that a few minutes ago. The girls storm around the house, chanting about being friends, and B is really starting to let loose. Things get hot and heavy on the dance floor, and David keeps biting Emma's lip for some reason. He admits to Sophie that he's just coked up, and that's why he bit her. B dances with Greg, and Alice gets jealous, pushing her right out of the way. Jordan is back to her interrogation, wanting to know where she went to school. Utah State, she tells her. Sophie suggests to Dave to cool out, but he tells her to keep an eye on her girl seeing her and Jordan are getting a little close. She does appear miffed and shouts for silence, posing to the group if they want to play bodies, bodies, bodies. Emma groans that people take that game way too seriously and start fighting, which they all think is part of the fun. They are still wondering about the missing Max. She hasn't heard back from him from her text. Dave gets instantly frustrated at the mention of his name and pushes Emma off of his lap. Greg doesn't know how to play, and they fill him in on the rules. One person with an X-marked piece of paper is the killer. They murder people by touching their back, and everyone else tries to avoid being killed. If you are a victim, you play dead. Whenever someone finds the body, they have to yell, bodies, 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 and regroup to figure out who is responsible. They gather in a circle, and before the round, exchange slaps and shots. Jordan goes a bit hard on B, but the others laugh it off as just part of the game. It's her turn for David, but she can only muster a soft slap despite him encouraging her to go for it. He decides to show her how it's done by sucker punching Greg in the face. The game begins as the group scatter and cut out all the lights. B blindly makes her way through the dark, crawling on the floor. 
door. She runs into Alice, trying to tell her hi, but she just runs off. She keeps navigating the dark until Sophie calls out that she's found a body. It's Greg that they find, and Alice dramatically reacts to his death. The accusations start with B, then others suggesting Emma. David accuses her of agreeing with what everyone else says, the same strategy she always uses in the game. And finally, David's name is floated as the killer. They notice Greg is not moving and grow a bit concerned, yet Dave has a surefire way to get him to react. The old cold beer on the nuts trick. And Greg shoots up, having just been playing a prank. They then turn to accuse Jordan of being the killer, and her reaction in a high pitch leads them to believe that she's lying. Man, they really just accuse everyone, I guess. They mostly settle on David, and Greg offers that the best defense is a good offense. Dave takes him to task. What does he mean by that phrase exactly? And Greg can only keep repeating the same thing empty-headed. He figures out that Dave is messing with him, and despite his feelings being hurt, plays it off as no big deal. He excuses himself to bed, and David is right back to accusing his girlfriend. See, she hasn't said a word, just like he said. The group is blown away. Wow, he's right. And they all stare suspiciously at her. They then notice a peculiar way that she's swallowing, convincing them that she must be the killer. Really? She defends that she always does that when nervous, and David calls it very unattractive. Alice blurts out, is that why they don't have sex? And he knows that Emma must be talking about him behind his back. She insists that she's not, but obviously that is the case. She stammers that he's always gaslighting her. And he scoffs that that's a dumb word overused to the point of annihilation. It means nothing anymore. So what? You read the internet and have a Twitter account. What's next? Calling him a narcissist? A foot soldier in the white supremacy? He coldly lays out his grander point. She doesn't have an original thought in her head. It's always someone else's. She starts to cry, and he scoffs. Everyone knows that this isn't her really crying. She's just acting. The group turns on him, voting him the killer in the end. He loses his nerve and has a little temper tantrum. It's time for another round of shots and slaps before the next round. And this time, B really goes for it. Then the lights go out for real, yet they all immediately blame David. They have no service and the Wi-Fi is down too, most likely thanks to the storm, but they still believe David is responsible. They split up to find the breaker and flashlights. B sets off on her own for the bathroom and is startled by a loud thud, seeing David flung against the window. The other girls come upon him outside and are freaking out. Is he dying? Sure looks like it with a big old gash in his neck and they debate what to do. Should they move him or not? But according to SVU, they shouldn't. It's evidence. Ooh, a bunch of geniuses around here. Now we have our first official body of the evening. But who is the real killer here? They pile into Sophie's car to get some help, but whoops. B left the mirror down and the battery is dead. It's the only car they have too. Mysterious Max dropped the rest of them off and well, he still hasn't shown back up. They head inside, hopeful Max will be back soon and wonder what David was doing by himself outside in the storm anyway. Something stupid probably. There's a sudden banging at the door. It's Jordan demanding to be let in. She shows off she found the blade out in the woods covered in blood. Luckily, the security system still works without power, so they don't have to worry about anyone else getting in. You gotta have the code. Then they wonder about Max. What exactly did happen last night? Turns out they all took shrooms, and he told Emma that he was in love with her. At the time, David was apparently amused, but perhaps not anymore, which would explain why he's been such a dick to her all night, and the punch in the face as well. Though there is another curiously absent member, Greg, who said he was off to sleep. They decide to go check on him, and Jordan grabs a cleaver for protection. Alice raises concern over arming themselves, and she asks her politely to not escalate the situation. Besides, how long has she known this guy really? She mutters long and admits it's only been two weeks. As far as personal details, she's confident that he's a fundamentally good person, but doesn't know a lot of obvious things like what he does for a living or where he lives. She pipes up that she does know he's a Libra moon, and that says a lot. They start shouting for Greg and then grab Alice covering her mouth, complaining that they're silencing her. They then realize they've lost Emma and consider that she could have done it. They're not so sure she seems so devastated, but they remember that she's an actor. It could all be part of the show. They also acknowledge that she's not actually that good of an actor. So, well, 
What are you gonna do there? Alice is scared to enter the room, but still maintains that Greg's a good guy. Sure about that? They find his go bag and dig through his stuff, finding a map of the area, including the house circled specifically. They're now worried about what he's really up to and move on to search Jordan's room. B happens upon a bra and Jordan snatches it away, groaning that she's not hiding in there. They pull back the sheets and Emma is there cowering, asking what is going on. They hand her some Xanax along with a weapon. Hmm, great idea. They discuss the potential of Max being behind this. He could have killed Dave after what happened last night, but they stop. He would never. And instead focus on finding Greg. They discover him down in the gym, donned in a light therapy mask. They cautiously approach and he's shaken out of his meditative state. He explains that he couldn't sleep, so he came down here. As for why he didn't answer, he's had headphones in this whole time. Well, there you go. He asks if they're still playing werewolf and bellows a loud howl. He playfully runs around the room screaming and the girls are absolutely terrified. They stop to ask more questions and the go bag was just for the hurricane, but the circled map goes unanswered. Greg is confused what's really going on here and they tell him that Dave is dead. He's still not getting it. No, he killed me. And they clarify that this is real. He guffaws in response, certain that they are messing with him. He knocks the weapon away and asks Alice what is going on. He screams for them to put down their weapons, things quickly turning quite serious. They agree to do so as long as he does the same. All good, he offers, but as soon as he sets his down, Jordan attacks. He flings her off and Emma tries her chances to little effect. They all run to the knife and he reaches it first. We then hear B groan and Greg is instantly stopped in his tracks as blood begins trickling down his head. He collapses seeing B there wielding a kettlebell as a weapon. He springs back up and she whacks him once more, killing him. Alice is beside herself. How did they know that he killed Dave in the first place? Yet there was still some kind of threat at the moment. They do agree at least on paper that Greg is the most obvious to commit an act of violence. He was in the military after all. Emma shrieks that they need to leave, but they still don't have a car. So she elects to try walking, which the others convince her is unwise. On her own, Sophie indulges in some cocaine before rejoining the others, and we can see an instant change in her demeanor. They're still arguing about who killed David, thinking that Max couldn't do it even if he was in love with Emma. She gives a mournful performance. She's scared and loved him so much. Sophie fires back that she didn't love him. She didn't even like him. This hurts her feelings, and she leaves, the others following after. Jordan jabs at her harsh words, and they realize that B has vanished. She's in another room, cleaning herself up. First of all, all that blood. Meanwhile, her gal pal is further diving back into her old ways. She dumps out a board game box and finds another little stash left behind. She confronts Emma and profusely apologizes. Emma then going in for a kiss. Isn't this what you wanted, she asks. Sophie scoffs, yeah, that's what I always wanted, and is annoyed because Emma thinks everyone is in love with her. She still offers her some of her pills, which Emma is happy to take. Wow, thanks for supporting her friend fresh out of rehab, geez. Now for a word from this week's sponsor, Mint Mobile. Look, we all know there's nothing worse than overpaying for your phone bill. And obviously you gotta have your phone, just to even live, really. So thank goodness that Mint Mobile is here to slash your cell phone bill down to a measly 15 bucks a month. And don't worry, because you get unlimited talk and text and high-speed data all delivered on the nation's largest 5G platform. No worries about lost signal or data overcharges here. Just to show how easy it is to get started, they sent me a package in the mail, which is completely free by the way. All I had to do was install a SIM card and I was up and going in no time. Even better, I was only paying 15 bucks a month instead of 90 with a competitor. The secret behind their savings is Mint Mobile is the first company to sell wireless service online only. That way they cut out the cost of retail stores and pass the savings on to the customer. Isn't that nice? Thanks so much. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com ending. That's mintmobile.com ending. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com ending. The others are still searching for B, who wisely stays out of sight. Alice is by herself, hearing muffled screams, and then a thud 
scud off in the distance. She blindly runs in a random direction and trips right over something. She's horrified to discover that it's Emma's body and screeches for help. It's Jordan that next makes it to her, also shocked at the sight, but neither know exactly what happened. They think that she might have just tripped and fell, but Alice is convinced that she was pushed. See, it couldn't have been Greg. Whoops, he killed him for no reason, kind of. Alice continues on with her wild theories, connecting that maybe the killer in the game is the killer in real life, since the deaths are following the pattern in the game. But that doesn't make any sense, as the others point out, accusing her of being coked out of her gourd. She argues they all are. Well, except for B, that is. They take in her new look, asking in confusion if she's wearing makeup. And where did she get that sweater? All agreeing that she looks odd. They turn their ire back to her, since she pretty much is a stranger to them. And according to Alice's perspective, she just showed up smiling at her boyfriend. That's not really what happened at all. Jordan has some actual damning evidence. She googled her story about going to Utah State, and no one graduated from there this year with her name. And there is, in fact, no record of her being a student there at all. They pile on that she found Dave's body, could have tampered with the generator, and most alarmingly of all, they actually saw her kill Greg. Be feebly asked to try and talk about it, but Alice is well past that point, and they push her right outside. She calls to Sophie for help, who stays mum, as they thrust B into the stormy night. And Sophie really just kind of watches the whole thing go down. Thanks for having my back there. I think the point is we're really starting to see that Sophie is no different than the rest of the moronic group here. B even shouts at her through the window, and Sophie is just like, eh, I'm good. She gets back to Sophie's truck, and thanks to the messed up window, is able to shove it down and unlock the door. In need of another wardrobe change, she digs through her duffel and finds a bra that looks exactly like Jordan's that she found earlier. Keep that in mind. B returns to the house to find a way inside and spies someone through the window, retrieving a handgun. She happens to find a quite large doggy door, big enough for her to crawl through. Amongst some tools, she grabs a hammer, overhearing the girls gabbing about being hungry. She enters the room to everyone's shock, and she warns that Jordan has a gun in her pocket. She vehemently denies this, and when asked, empties her pockets. There's some random stuff there, but no gun. Then there's another shock. Amongst the stuff is a piece of paper marked X, meaning that she was the killer in the game. This naturally immediately leads them to think that she's the real killer as well. Man, they really are that clueless, aren't they? She was the last person to show up with David, and she could have pushed him, huh? Who knows? I mean, it could have been anybody. That's sort of the whole point. There's no evidence of any kind. Although B did actually see her take the gun, and she calls her a liar. B admits that she did lie to Sophie. She only went to Utah State for one semester. Her mom was having a hard time, and she came home to take care of her. And yeah, she did actually work at Game Hut, but the location closed down soon after she met Sophie. So as she reveals when Soph would drop her off at the mall, she would just hang out in the food court all day, not wanting to disappoint her could uh, try to find another job at the place that's literally stocked with a million stores. I don't know. She excuses that she was embarrassed and should have told her the truth. And her mom has borderline. But we don't know borderline what exactly. Schizophrenia, borderline personality disorder. Because as soon as she says borderline, Alice immediately groans. Oh my God, that's really serious. Mental health is really serious. She has her own secret revealing that she suffers from body dysmorphia. Jordan isn't buying it, groaning for her to shut up. Sophie forgives her with a big hug and Jordan rolls her eyes at the sight. She retrieves the gun hidden in the couch, calling this all bullshit. Can anyone else see what a giant red flag this is? Her and the other's parents are rich, but Sophie and David's parents are super rich. She tells the truth that they didn't even want to invite Sophie. She didn't actually respond to the group chat, and on top of that, she had the audacity to show up with this psycho. Alice also knows that she didn't actually tell them she was coming, and the real reason she's here, according to David, was getting his help to unlock her parents' trust fund again. Uh-oh, it's all really coming out now, and it definitely sounds like Sophie is no different than the others here. It's almost like she too 
too has been hiding to be who she really is this whole time. That whole fake public slash online persona thing. She points out that they've been doing lines around her all night with no respect for her history. Alice timidly jumps in saying she understands. She's an ally and gets that it looks bad. She throws it over to Jordan and she keeps it real about the impact of Sophie's behavior. She rode in an ambulance three times thanks to her and she truly needed the help and got it. They had to narc on her to her dad so she got shipped off to rehab kicking and screaming. Then she fell off the face of the earth to write memoirs or something which Sophie defends as an acceptable form of grief. She moans they're always drowning in her feelings and Sophie shoots back feelings are facts. Jordan disagrees facts are facts and why did she really ghost them? Sophie describes them as triggers and enablers in a sense still trying to play the victim in a way. Then things get personal when Jordan inquires if B knows that she begged her to stop by on the way up and they fucked in the car. Uh oh. Sophie defends that it's all a lie. She's just trying to get into your head. Jordan tells her to check her text and Sophie calls her unhinged, devoid of empathy. She can never be with her because she uses a Google calendar for everything, including sex. She has no soul. Though Sophie's behavior had real impact on Jordan, she had legit PTSD and went to therapy for some time, which Alice backs up. Pretty serious damage you're actually doing here. Sophie seizes the opportunity to destroy her as well, smirking that you hate Alice, you despise her, and you won't stop making fun of her podcast. The only reason she listens to it is to hate listen. Alice is offended, asking if that's true. B inquires what is the podcast, and she's happy to detail it's about hanging out with her smartest and funniest friend, to which Jordan reactively rolls her eyes. Alice cries that a podcast takes a lot of work, but Sophie is still focused on Jordan. She growls that no one likes her, and when she's drunk, she complains that people think she's mean and a bitch. Well, because she is, they only hang out with her for pity and because of their long shared history. She's so in love with her rags to riches narrative, like she's the only person in the world who didn't come for money. Well, easy for her to say with her incredibly wealthy upbringing. She really then cuts to the bone, calling her family upper middle class. Uh-oh. She cries, they're not, they teach at a university. Alice scoffs, no wonder Sophie OD'd, and Jordan wings her in the leg. Woo. She shrieks in disbelief, how could you shoot me? And somehow Jordan already pretends that she didn't shoot her. Uh, we literally just saw it happen. I think the point is to further illustrate just how much each of them really deny responsibility at all costs, even when the facts are literally staring you in the face. They're like, no, I didn't do it. Alice naturally thinks that Jordan must have killed all the others, calling her such a bitch. She jumps at her, and they all struggle for the weapon, and wind up in a dog pile of bodies. The gun goes off, and they each carefully unfurl the pile, revealing Alice on the bottom with another fresh bullet wound. Jordan immediately pushes the blame, and grabs the gun, turning it on Sophie. She pleads with her to put it down, and hysterically, she maintains that she didn't do it. Getting closer makes her grow uncomfortable, and Jordan keeps urging her to stay back. She follows her backwards all the way upstairs. B surprises her from behind, and Jordan wildly lets off shots. She pins her to the wall, still firing. Jordan gets her in a chokehold, and once more, Sophie does absolutely nothing, just kind of standing there watching all this happen. Absolutely useless. B bites her and flings her over the side of the banister, crashing into a pile of trash below. She weakly groans to check the text and starts firing randomly. The pair run off and hide in a closet for some reason. I'm not sure. And soon the tables turn on each other. B asks if Sophie killed Emma, and she says she didn't. Did you? She denies it as well, but B tells her it's okay if she did. She just wants the truth. They're still unsure about David, but of course know who killed Greg, which B defends was only to protect her. Then there's the other lingering question. Did she really hook up with Jordan recently? Sophie still denies it, especially because, as she said, she loves her. B can't trust her anymore and slaps her hand away when trying to touch her. She elects to leave her companion, running back off into the many dark corridors. Sophie chases after, crying they need to stick together. B hides in one room, waiting for Sophie to pass by. She huffs again that she loves her and runs off shrieking her name. Jeez, lady, more unhinged than I realized. Morning comes and B makes her way through the carnage in the house and bodies left behind. Outside, the storm has passed and she comes to David's mangled corpse. No sign of Sophie though, 
until she surprises her from behind with a big hug. And B plays everything cool. Oh, I've been looking for you. Not weird or anything, not even a little bit. She does at least attempt to get honest with her, saying that she found some coke, said some horrible things to Emma, and gave her some pills before she tripped and fell. She begins to tear up, and B comforts her it's okay. Soph is relieved, thinking that she wouldn't believe her story, and she doesn't entirely, pulling the gun on her and demanding to see her cell phone. Essentially proving her guilt, Sophie tosses the phone away. B runs after it, and they fight for it in the mud. After rolling around a bit, they plunge into the pool. B climbs out and grabs the phone, followed soon after by Sophie, who notices it isn't actually her phone. She looks over to David and assumes that it must be his. She props his eyes open to unlock it and rejoins Sophie. They play the last video he recorded of him trying to attempt Greg's saber champagne trick. He gets the sword really a-swinging, showing off some impressive moves. He tries for the big break, but keeps missing the pop. So he tries another way, bringing the blade pretty close to his face there. He then biffs it, landing the blade right in his neck. The girl's looking on slackjawed. Yep, David offed himself in an incredibly foolish fashion, meaning the entire chain of events was wrong from the very beginning. There was no killer of any kind. It was just a series of ridiculous misunderstandings and accusations that led to senseless death and bloodshed. Way to go, dum-dums. Then after all that, Max finally does show up asking what happened. The water features on the pool turn on and B's cell phone chimes, meaning they have signal and power again. She holds up the phone towards him in an offering. I have reception, she tells him. That brings us to the conclusion of this scene explained for Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. And don't forget, before we go, you can send me requests for any movies or TV shows you'd like to see me explain by sending them my way on any of my social media accounts at Foundflix. What did you think of Bodies, Bodies, Bodies and its ending? Let me know your thoughts down in the comments below. Make sure to like, subscribe, and follow. Thanks for watching Foundflix. See you next time.